Lord God Almighty, we pray that you would come and in this room tonight and that you would touch our hearts, open up our eyes, Lord, to the richness of your grace, your amazing love. Father, we have come to a place in this amazing book of Romans where we call this a book written to the whole world. But tonight we turn a corner where we see you turn your attention to your people, your covenant people. People that were foreknown, created by you. And Father, tonight I confess my feebleness to, to try to teach that which is beyond man's ability to understand by all natural means. But yet you have given to us in your word over and over again, this thing called salvation is a work of your free grace. So I pray here tonight, Father, as we go into a week that many in our country is calling probably one of the most important president's elections in, in the beginning, since the beginning of our country. And whether who wins or who doesn't win, Lord, we know and we can see that it's already having an impact upon your people. But we pray, Father, that you would lift us up from the division that separates people in a political perspective. That you would bring us to a place that we would see you as the king of kings, Lord of lords, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and that we would worship you. That's why we've come here tonight, to bow down to you, the true president, the true king, the true Lord. And we thank you for it now. Holy Spirit, empower me, speak through me, hide me behind the cross, this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Been feeling kind of weird today, to be totally honest with you. And um, Chad said he was feeling the same way. And I don't know if that's spiritual warfare or, or just um, Satan trying to intervene and distract me and to help keep me from not focusing on what I need to focus in on. I was running a little late today. I usually get here about 4.30, got in my car and go through my rituals like I typically do and got into my car, my windows were up and everything was normal like typical and, 
and got in there and put in the bulletins and everything and put um, my bag that I carried with me all the time and threw it on the seat and I was backing out and was coming here and forgot about my microphone system because I didn't have it with me last week because we didn't meet last week so I had taken it out of my box and so that was weird so I halfway here and forgot so I got to turn around so I won't be able to preach without my mic and behold as I was coming back to the house and I started screaming y'all saw a 6'4 guy screaming it was pretty I was calling on Jesus and well, the reason why I was calling on Jesus is because I felt something on my right hand and Jeremiah is a bear witness to this. It was a pretty significant, ugly looking spider about the size of a half a dollar on my hand. And I don't know if it was a brown recluse or what it was, but it was ugly and it kind of messed with this color. And brother, I just knew I was a goner. I said, this thing is on my hand, and, and I threw that thing on the, I was just shocked. It's like, what in the world? Something's trying to take me out, so I called Jeremiah. He came out with some, we got all kind of spider spray at the house, and I probably should have just took something and just smashed it, but I was, I was pretty shooken up just looking at it. I said, how did this thing get in? Jeremiah said, Dad, you need to shut your windows. My windows were shut. I don't know how this ugly creature from hell got in here. And, and so Jeremiah killed it. It's still laying in the driveway. And so I just I wanted to show it to Dion or Sandra when they come home. And it was, and Jeremiah started spraying it and it got really big and like it was about to shoot some stuff out. I mean, it was, so I don't like, Lord, what is in the world? And so, but, but, but in all sincerity, you know, I mean, I was just like, it was on my hand. And so it could have, and you know, Michigan, we didn't have spiders like this. And, so, you know, I'm still trying, even though I'm from the South, but I'm still trying to get reacclimated to the South. And so having big brown spiders on your hand is not something that I'm used to. But so anyway, but I really believe the Lord has put a word in my heart. And as we've reached this part of the text and um, I mean, I really tried to skip over it. I really did. I wanted to skip over it. And I said, Lord, this is stuff that. Um, R.C. Sproles and people like that and all of those smart people who've studied the Greek and the Hebrew languages and pipers of this world and who've given their best shot to unpack texts like this. But God is not trying to hide it. It's there. We're going to read it tonight. And so with that being said, let's stand to our feet and read a few verses from Romans 8, 28 to verse 30. Actually, Carl, go back to the title I want to show. Um, show the title. So notice the first thing that's changed. I'm going to speak into that. God's message to the children of God. The amazing mystery of God's love. Okay. Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that all things work together for good, for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. 
and those he justified, he also glorified. Next text screen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. You may have your seats. We started this sermon series in Romans out by calling it God's message to the whole world. Jews and Gentiles, which includes everyone and everybody, poor, rich, the wealthy, the educated, the not educated, and everything else in between. The whole human race. But from here on, the message from God is to the children of God, the bride of Christ, the church, which is made up of every nation, from every tribe, peoples, and languages. The scene that I taught on last week at Faith Prayers, that we see God revealing to us in Revelation 7, verse 9 through 17, when John said he saw the great multitude. This is important for us to understand because of the scriptures that we are studying today from Romans 8, 28, verse 30, and going forward. Apostle Paul wants us to understand as children of God, a few important things that would give us full assurance of our salvation from this text tonight. And I want to just give a few just in the text, just bring it out to your so we can see it. One of the things that Paul wants us to know. And the first thing Paul tells us that that in all things, all things, all means all. Let that sink in. Doesn't mean just the big things or just the small things. It means the smallest things to the biggest things. All things, Paul says. And these all things means pleasures, pains. You have pain in your life, in your life tonight. Things that are causing you to groan. Those deep sighs that we talked about a few weeks ago. Have any of that going on in your heart tonight? These all things include all forms of tremendous suffering. You live long enough, some of those will come by your house and knock on your door. And I pray tonight that you would go back. That's why I wanted to make sure this is being recorded and you will remember this sermon. That all things, all the disappointments in life that you and I will encounter on this side of heaven. All the injustice, hardships, there will be some betrayals in there. That includes divorces. Unexpected deaths. Didn't see that one coming. 
one of the most painful deaths that we as Christians undergo is when we see that of a little child for whatever the reason. Why God? Why him or her? Why so young? These all things include wedding days as well. Great moments of joy. If you're into the prosperity gospel this year, like this part of the sermon. Unexpected job promotions. Thank you, Jesus. I'm highly favored. Thank you for the promotion. That's a part of it. God promotes. God rewards faithfulness. You go from this level and now you're CEO. You're running some corporation or some office part of your company. God has that as a part of all things. Job promotions and opportunities, financial increase. So don't let it be said that Urban Hope is against getting money. No, we're not against getting money. That's a part of it. That God takes you from the bottom and maybe one day you're overseeing your own business and your business does pretty well. Where you are able to help others and, and employ people, help see Fairfield become a city that's a, that's a city moving forward. That's a part of God's plan. That's why we preach it and teach it here. We believe that God has that in store for us. That he wants to see Gary Avenue become a, an oasis of, of restaurants and business. There's nothing wrong with that. Financial increase and material blessings. But Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 and 12, I'm going to read it to you. He says, I don't say this out of need. For I have learned in all of these seasons of life, all things, Paul says, to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Whether you're getting the promotion or whether you're getting demoted. Paul says. I'm content. Paul says in verse 12, I know how both how to make to do with little. And I know how to make to do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, all things, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, Paul says, Come to understand that in all things. Which leads me to my second thing that Paul wants us to know that in all things, whether well fed or whether hungry. Whether with much or whether with little, Paul says, I understand that in all things they work together. What does this work together refer to? This work together, work means according to the will of God. His plans and his purposes. 
Paul says they all work together, that all things, whether well-fed or whether little, whether much, Paul says all things in all circumstances. In the wedding day, as well as the day of death, Paul says all things, they work together. Which is the, according to the will of God and his plans and his purposes. They all work together. In Ephesians 1.11, Paul spells this out when he says, talking to the Ephesians in Ephesus, and having been predestined according to the purpose of him, Paul says, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So even on Tuesday, no matter who you're voting for, and if you're person that you vote for, whether it be locally or whether it be the governor or representatives and senators and whoever it is, whether they lose or win. Remember, God's purposes are being worked out. So Christians, make sure you understand that. Whether we have Nero or whether we have whoever, God is still God on the throne. I have to remind myself of that. So Paul says in all things, they work together. One of the ways that God's plan worked together for good was in the crucifixion of his son. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.8, he says, that none of the rulers of darkness, Satan and himself, in the kingdom of hell, they know a lot, but they didn't know this. Paul says that none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because God's wisdom is past finding out. It's beyond us. Jesus going to the cross, even his own disciples didn't understand that. When Jesus kept saying he must go to Jerusalem, we know that story in Matthew 16 when Peter said, may it never be, Lord. And Jesus had to nicely, slightly rebuke him, say, Satan, you're not talking the things of God, Peter. But you're speaking of demonic utterance. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.8 that none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because Paul says, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know that the greatest injustice that would be committed in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on Golgotha's hill would be the death of them. They didn't know that. They didn't understand what God was doing. What God was working out. Beloved children of God, in those darkest moments in your life, you will have no idea what the eternal God is doing. But when Paul says all things, he means all things. He's working it out. 
which leads me to my next point. He says, all things working it out for the good of them who have been called according to his purpose. This good. Remember God who's eternal, who lives outside of time. We live in time. What time is it? God never asked the angels, what time is it? What time is it, uh, Gabriel? That's not how it works in heaven. So God is looking at things from an eternity perspective. But we typically are looking at things from a temporary perspective. Because we're temporary on this side. So that's how we see it, even though we're eternal beings. So part of the good that may, we may not see it here, it's probably in 100 million years where you'll see, wow, that's what God was up to when so-and-so died at 32. Because God is looking at things from an eternity, eternal perspective, not in this time slot that we all live in. And so Paul says that all of these things are working together for the good. So this good that you and I See here that Paul referenced it must be viewed in all of eternity. And that's hard for us. Some of us are still asking why Big Mom died at 78. It amazes me sometimes I see people, and I understand. Sean Connery died. He was 90. It was one of my favorite buns. What's your name? Bond. James Bond. Sean Connery was the best. Everybody else was a knockoff. Some of y'all young folks say, like, who's Sean Connery? See, they don't even know who that is. Go on YouTube and put Sean Connery in. He died somewhere in, um, in um, Jamaica yesterday. So we must view this good that Paul referenced here in eternity, not in this here and now. But this is where the message from God changes from the world and to the children of God here in the text. Paul says all things are working together for the good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. This is important to understand because Paul here in the Romans, he's turning the corner. Please do not quote this text over people who don't love God. Please don't do that. Don't do it on Facebook. Don't do it on Twitter. Don't do it in giving them a card. Please don't do that. Paul is very specific that these all things work together for the good to them who love God. 
So this is why going forward, this sermon series will be called God's message to the children of God. That is very specific. Up until now, then it had been God's message to the whole world. But now Paul says all things work together for the good. For them, those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's important because we know that everyone in the world doesn't love God and care to obey him. So we have to be very specific. But if you was just reading that text, if you've just been reading through the book of Romans, one of the questions that you should ask is that I'm going to ask here tonight for teaching purposes is how do sinners who are dead in their trespasses and sins come to love God? How does that happen? And this is what I would like to refer to in this part of the sermon as the amazing mystery of God's love revealed in the gospel. I put it here in my notes. Out and go slow. Don't try to scream it out. Just let the word speak for themselves. So how does it that rebellious sinners go from not loving God to loving God? Well, Paul has already told us in earlier on in Romans chapter three, verse 10 through 18, I read it to you. Paul said, as it is rich in verse 10, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Please stop calling people good in and of themselves. Paul says there is not one human being born good. There is not one, he says, who does what is good, not even one. Verse 12, their throat, verse 13, is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Just love killing. That's all the abortion industry is. It's just death on top of death. Humans without God will kill all the time. Swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace, Paul says, they have not known. They can't understand peace and harmony between people. They have not known peace. Verse 18 is a clicker. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God at all. It's like. Paul says, that's the world. But yet our text says all things work together for the good of those who love God. 
His Greek word, sakapipeo, to means love, means to have love for someone or something based on sincere appreciation and high regard. People in Romans 3, now Paul says, all things work together for good to those who love God. So how does that happen? And what do we mean when we say the amazing mystery of God's love? What do we mean by that? How does that happen? You love God tonight. You want to serve him. You come in here, lift your hands up, and you sing unto the Lord out of your heart. Where there was a time in your life you used to curse him. But now you worship him. How did that happen? And why not the whole world is in this room or in some church bound down, singing unto the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And brothers and sisters, this is where the word of God um, is delicate, it's sensitive. But I wouldn't, as I talked, said earlier, I would have wanted to skip over it if I could have. But, you know, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to let that happen. So we got people that are here in the faith. We got people who are just starting. And so the, we're a young church. So trying to communicate what I am about to communicate to you can be very, very reckoning. But it's the word of God. So my question is, how is it that we go from not loving God to loving God? So first slide I want to put up on the board here is from 1 John 16 and 19. First John. John says, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. You hear people quoting it all the time. He is. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. And in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have the confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love, the love of God, it drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Let me stop here before I make my point. Satan is a God of fear. That's what he does. Y'all have heard my story, you know, preaching, teaching. Fear that keeps us paralyzed. Fear that keeps us sitting and not moving. It's fear that keeps us in Egypt. I don't know what's in the promised land. I don't, I, I've never done that before. I've never led that group before. I've never done this or that. It's all fear. But what God does, God is love. And the true thing about it, it's, it's, it's hard for us to understand this, this 
all-encompassing love of God, that, that God just loves you just the way you are. He just loves you. That there's nothing you can add to help God love you more. And so it says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So in the gospel, is God loving you and I? Availing our eyes to see him for who he is. This amazing, amazing, amazing thing that God does to help, not help, to give us open eyes where before we were Stevie, Wonder, Ray Charles, but now we see, as Chad said earlier, that's the work of God. Now, Paul is laying out a lot of theology in these two verses, and it gets even more deeper. And you get into Romans chapter nine, and Paul is just pouring it on. So I just said, Lord, I can't just run through this because some of you, this is going to be your first time hearing the gospel presented like this. Some of you have heard it before, but have gone over your head and you've tried to avoid it. But here's the problem. This is why you see some of the division that we see in the church, because people don't really understand this thing called the gospel of grace and God's electing love. And when you don't understand that, you're tossed to and fro, trying to figure out what it is that God is doing. And so within our denomination called the PCA, we hold to a confession called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Been around for a while. Men sat around and thought through what the Bible is saying. Some of you, I sent some videos out to you and encourage you to listen. And Reformation Day was yesterday with Martin Luther to understand what it is that the church or on the Reformation Day, what it is that the Reformation brought back to us. Because up until then, the 1500s, the Catholics, is what we call the universal church, had a whole lot of hocus pocus stuff going on. And so you need to go listen and read the video to understand that even us here tonight reading the Bible, that you even have a Bible in your hand, that that's not by osmosis. Because if we've been left up to some really powerful, rich men, you wouldn't have no Bible. And lots of people died, got their necks cut off, and was killed so that you and I can have the Bible in our own language. It's called the time of the Reformational period. Started with a guy named Martin Luther. It's a video out there. It's powerful. I encourage you to watch it. Good historical content for you and I. But in this, out of that came what we call the Presbyterian and Nelson PCA, John Knox and many others. And these guys came together and fought through. What is it that the Bible teaches as it relates to salvation? How is it that sinners who are trespassers and dead in their sins go from death to life? Why some and not others? 
And so I'm just going to read to you and I encourage you after tonight that you read. So, Lord, open my eyes. And there are scriptures all connected to it. None of the ones I'm going to show you is the same one, but Chad and I can send it to you later. So here is first slide. It's called the eternal decree, eternal from God's perspective, not from ours. Here we go. God from all eternity, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, you always see that with God according to his own will. Freely and unchangeably ordain everything that ever happens. People say, Pastor Hardy, why is it that you hold no bitterness? So you got to understand what I came, what Paul says, and we know. When you know this, it changes everything. It's when you don't know this, you stay a person that's constantly entangled with bitterness of this life. That God ordains everything that ever happens, yet in such a way that God is not the author of sin, nor is violence done to the will of the creatures, human beings, nor is the power of possibility or secondary causes taken away, but rather established. Second point, although God knows everything that may or can come to pass based on all possible conditions, Yet he has not decreed anything just because he foresaw it as future or as what would happen because of such conditions. Third point, by the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some people, listen carefully, I've got to slow it down. Some people and angels are predestined to everlasting life and others are foreordained to everlasting death. Whew. Next slide. These angels and people thus predestined and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably intended, not by osmosis, and their number is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or decreased. Before the foundation of world of the world was laid, God chose in Christ those of mankind who are predestined to life for everlasting glory according to his eternal and immutable immutable means unchangeable purpose and the secret counsel and the good pleasure of his will he did this out of his mere free grace and love what's love got to do with it Next one. Without any foreseeing of their faith, their good works, their perseverance in either of these or any of other thing in the creature that might act as conditions or causes 
moving him to it. In other words, it wasn't nothing in you that made him do it. That you can say he did it because I was better than her or him. All of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. Six, as God has appointed those whom he chose to glory to his glory, so also he has by the eternal and most free purpose of his will foreordained all the means to bring it about. Thus, those who are chosen being fallen in Adam are redeemed by Christ are effectually called to faith in Christ by his spirit working in due season. Seven, and are justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by his power through faith to salvation, and no others are redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but only those chosen by God. God decided according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will by which he extends or withholds mercy as he pleases. Remember the verse Chad read earlier in Call to Repentance. By which he extends or withholds mercy as he pleases for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures to pass by the rest of mankind and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin, to the praise of his glorious justice. The doctrine of the high mystery, so I put mystery of God's amazing love. It's a mystery of his predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care. So that people giving attention to the will of God revealed in his word and yielding their obedience to it may be assured of their eternal selection based on the certainty of their effectual calling. You see, the problem that I had. I said, Lord, if I continue on in the book of Romans and people have no idea what we mean by salvation, I was going to be talking to myself. So I'm slowing it down. And I could just, some of you say, you're hearing this for the first time. You're seeing it's all over the Bible. Paul says, and we know, know what? Romans, Christians, what do we know? It's God who's high, sits high and looks low, sovereign over all and in all. And not a detailed thing that comes in our lives is outside his will. That's why Paul said, in all things, it works together for the good of them that love God. How did we even come to love God unless God did God stuff? And see, we're gonna, you probably say, well, that's not fair. Romans 9 answers that. Who are you, the potter, to say 
me the clay to say to the potter who's making you, what are you doing with me? You like to draw. And the pencil looks back at you. Why are you drawing this? Go this way. Make my nose smaller. Those questions are being asked by the most, and I have asked them. But Paul says that we know that in all things work together for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those he foreknew. This love he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Where is it all headed? We're being conformed to the image of his son. And then verse 30, which I'm going to take my time. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let me end here. Um, I said earlier, people ask all the time, Pastor Hardy, your story. And see, because I've been around, you know, 54, about to be 55 and this year. And so, um, what, next year? And so, what people don't understand that I've been sitting with this for a while. So, so it's, 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 I've been sitting with why was I born in Sardis and eating from the dump and dirt. So I, I've, I've gone through some, some, some understanding of who this God is. And so, and, and, and it does take some time to chew on it. And, and, and don't skip over it, read it and, and understand it, 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 it would help you because I used to fight with God and then you just stop fighting and you realize, see, but now, now, now I'm 54 here in Birmingham and God is doing some great stuff but, but now, y'all hear me say, but now I can see much more clear what God was doing, but I didn't always see it that way yeah, I had hate in my heart yeah, I had anger some of y'all think I'm being easy loving when I say I don't talk about white privilege. You think I'm being Uncle Tom. You don't understand how I had to wrestle with this God on this stuff. I had to go deep. I had to cry out to God, you know, when I, when I, when I was spat upon. It ain't, I didn't just let it roll off my back. You're seeing the Elton now who's come to know that, that God is sovereign. And that's why I'm preaching it to you, because I didn't even understand salvation. I thought it was me. But so you, when you think it's you, you have too many bad days in a row, and then you'll never feel like you can ever get back to God. So you ought to thank God that he never leaves the salvation up to you and what you try to pursue according to your own righteousness. Because listen to me, you don't even know what's in your heart. Some of you 20 years from now, there are things that you're going to do and you're going to doubt whether God still loves you. And you better hold on that the one who called, he called, is the one who justifies. Not according to your righteous, but according to that which his son took on and washed you in the blood of the lamb. You got to know that at the heart level, because when the storms come and the sins of our hearts are revealed, 
We think, well, God don't love me. See, all that is doing is showing you and I how much we don't really believe the gospel of God's amazing love. Which leads to why you see all the division you see among the people, because most Christians do not understand what I just showed you. She asked me, who's this kid from Sardis that's preaching a gospel that's not of pigmentation or skin tone? What I didn't know that God was working all things, all that abuse, all that misuse, all the times that I was called the N-word, all the time that I was fired unjustly. I didn't know what God was doing. And when God brought this reality to me, you hear me weep. I say, you hear me say, where did I get here? What I'm trying to say to you. I keep asking, how did I get here? I remember how dark I was when I was in the world. I could tell y'all some stories. If I told you some of the stuff I did in the world when I was unsaved, you wouldn't believe it. Because you was like, I'm not God. I can't handle that. That's why we just tell God. Well, here I am now. I love God. And the question is, you love God. How did that happen? A lot of my peers try to avoid this chapter in Westminster Confession. They don't like it. I don't know how they get around it. Because it humbles you. It brings you to, as they were singing that last song, to worship the king and bow before him. That he has called you. And in all of your life, all things are working itself out. You may not understand it on this side, but God is working it out for your good according to his counsel of his will for his purposes. All things. This is why it's so important not just to quote this verse to unbelievers. Please don't. What Paul is doing with this is giving us Christians assurance. When the bad stuff happens, just know that God is in control. He's in control, saints. That's what Paul is trying to encourage these Romans. He's in control. He's controlled of every emperor of Rome that came to power. And he will be in control on Tuesday on whoever it is that will become the power or remain in power. Or who knows? Or not be any. Maybe um, the one lady of the house, Pelosi. <laughs> and even if she gets it, he's still in power. Doesn't matter who's over us. What matters is, is we understand in all things. So we're going to take our time as we walk through this. 
the chain link of salvation is what they call it. And so I asked, Lord, I got people, you know, what does this mean? You know, me, you hear me and Dion say this. You know, why we, this is what we're saying. We pray into it. People say, why are you going to Fairfield? Well, because what how we do Christianity in the West, we go to the areas where it's nice and clean. Where there is no bankruptcies. But the God who sits high and looks low, he don't go like that. God has his children everywhere. So people say, why don't you go to Fairfield? Because I know God got some children there. I don't know who they are. That's not my job to know. God just told me, go do what? Be faithful to preach the word in season and out of season. And he will bring them as we do faithful business of evangelizing. You never know who God going to save. God can save the worst gang member in Fairfield and bring him to himself. That's what makes this so powerful. That's why we're here. So I didn't have to go to the richest part of the town to build a church and say, well, I go there, I get the funds, and I can have the funds to pay the staff. No, I said, God, if you say go to Fairfield, we come to Fairfield. And it's up to God to do his own support of what he's called. And he's done just that. So, Father, tonight, I don't even know how to even conclude this, but to say, you are the one who could take the, the difficult things of the text, things that we struggle with, Lord, to understand. You are the one by your Holy Spirit who take those things and you can bring clarity out of the muddiness of what we can't see because truly we are finite beings. And Lord, I pray tonight, Father, if we've just read a few texts and this amazing gospel of grace and love that you would save us. Lord, some of us can remember how far lost we were. And now we are here in church and we're like, how do we get, how do I get in church? You in the richness of your grace and love. You loved us. But what's more amazing, Father, you loved us in eternity past, before the foundations of the world. How do we understand that? But you tell us in Psalms 139 that before one day came to be, you had ordained them already in your book. And Father, I feel and see and sense right now in my life that I'm walking in this, in this purpose of what you had wrote down in your book before I was even formed in my mother's womb. You wrote it down that you wanted to do in this hour, in this generation, a great mighty move of your spirit for your glory, not for Alton's glory. And you set up all of the roadblocks and all of the heartaches and all of the racial woundedness so that, God, that you would prepare me for this moment and for this hour, that you would come and build this church and this spiritual movement, Lord God, that would bring the people here in Birmingham to come and do it in a place, Lord, where nobody would expect it. That your wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God, would be displayed. And you were shown to the powers of darkness 
and the rulers in the heavenly realms that they are no match for the power of the God who sits on the throne of glory. And Father, I am amazed. I don't even know how I got here. But I'm like all the rest of those who bow down before the king, before the lamb, before the holy one. And I say with all humility, Father, that you will continue to do what you've planned to do according to the counsel of your will in us and through us in this hour. And it's in your name, Father, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand to your feet. If you guys, um, some of you want to say, read over this, those eight, um, eight Westminster of Confession. You can email Michael or Chad and they can send it to you with all the scriptural references to them. And I encourage you while we're in this going forward, you're going to see this over and over again. And so I encourage you to read it.